Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought by, for their, by, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Ye blood, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. We know that the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. I want to note five things out of this text before I give you my thought tonight. We notice, number one, the city that he stopped in in verse number one. The Bible said, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. During Paul's second missionary journey, his intention was not only to visit the churches that were already existing from the first missionary journey, but his burden and his desire was always evangelism, to see other people saved and to see other churches started for the glory of God. Such is the reason why he went to the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was one of the greatest cities of that day. It was known for its bronze and its for its pottery and for its great sporting events that was comparable to the Olympics of Rome. Corinth was also known for their great wickedness and immorality. If there was anywhere that needed a Bible-preaching, gospel-preaching church, it was Corinth, amen? You know, we, we pick about Salisbury being a dangerous town. We're the number nine most dangerous city in North Carolina. I don't know if you knew that or not. We've been holding steady number nine for a few years now, and I, I don't know why that is. I'll tell you why it is. It's because of sin. And I tell people I often go to the Salisbury Walmart to keep my burden for Salisbury. Somebody say amen. Realizing my work is not complete, all right? Uh, but if there, and I know it's uh, rough. We've got some rough areas, some rough town, but it's because of sin. But I tell you, if there's anywhere that needs a Bible preaching church and a gospel lighthouse, it's in a place like this, amen? By the way, there ain't no good towns. All are sinners, and they've come short of the glory of God. So the city that he stopped in, but then verse number two, the Christians that he stayed with. The Bible teaches us that Paul went and stayed with a, with a Christian couple, husband and wife, named Aquila, and Priscilla. Now, as he, he visits with these folks, these folks had to leave Rome, according to verse number 2, because Claudius had commanded that all the Christians were to leave Rome. And so, Paul found fellowship with Aquila and Priscilla, the city that he stopped in, and the Christians that he stayed with, but then the craft that he specialized in, verse number 3. And because he was of that same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation, they were 
were tent makers. Now Paul is a missionary. He was an evangelist. But he still had some financial needs. And so Paul was not afraid to work. And so while Paul was staying with Aquila and Priscilla, he was had a, a background of making tents. He labored with them. And he was in the tent making business with them. But then we notice in verse number 4, we're getting to my thoughts. Stay with me. The congregation that he served. Verse number 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Now Paul was commissioned to the Gentiles according to Acts chapter number 9. But Paul's custom, Paul's burden and his desire, he'll write about it in Romans 9 and 10, was to see his brethren after the flesh saved, those Jews. He'll say in Romans 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. In Romans 9 verse number 1 through 3, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why, Paul? For I wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul said, I have such a burden for the Jew to know Christ that I'd almost be willing for myself to be a curse from Christ so that they might know the Lord. He had a burden. So what he would do when he would go into town, oftentimes, he would go to the synagogue first. The synagogue is where the Jews would worship. And he would, brother David, he would try to reason with those Jews. And he would try to reason. And this verse also tells us there are also Greeks there. Greeks has the same term for a Gentile. So there are Jews and non-Jews that are there. So I don't believe Paul is out of the will of God when he goes and reasons here in the synagogue. But notice not only the city that he stopped in, the Christians that he stayed with, the crowd that he specialized in and the congregation that he served with. But notice in verse 5 and 6 the circumstance that he surmised. He gets in this synagogue and he gets a burden on his heart and he testifies to these Jews that Jesus was Christ. You know what happened? They rejected him. He poured his heart out. He poured his burden out to them. And, and no doubt he preached the gospel message. And they rejected him. They told him no. Paul, in verse number 7, departs thence, enters to a certain man's house, same justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. We'll, we'll expound upon this more in a moment. But when Paul preached that day, and he was opposed by the congregation, it was at this point that he felt that he had wasted his time. You ever been trying to serve God? No, not necessarily preaching, but you've tried to do something for the Lord. Maybe you've given somebody a track. Maybe you've taught a Sunday school class. Maybe you've tried to labor, and you didn't see the results immediately. And you felt as though, I am just wasting my time. Now, don't tell me I'm the only one. I tell you, there have been times I've gotten in my car and drove home on Sunday night after preaching twice, teaching Sunday school, and laboring, and felt as though I wasted my time. We've all been there. Sunday school teachers, you've got up in front of that class. You've tried to prepare. You've tried to do your best. You've tried to teach that lesson. And it just seems like they're in left field. They're not getting anything. And you wonder, am I wasting my time? I want to preach on that thought tonight when you feel like you're wasting your time. I mean, you're trying to serve the Lord. Maybe it's on the job. You're trying to witness to somebody that's lost. you got a burden for them. You have the truth. And you talk to them over and over again. Maybe it's a family member. And you're trying to minister to them. And you're trying to... Maybe they're saved. Maybe they're lost. And you're trying to help them. And it seems the more you try to help them, they ain't getting nothing you're saying. And you, you just want to throw up your hand and say, I'm wasting my time. We've all been there. 
We've all dealt with that. And I want to look at this story tonight and notice and with that thought in mind on, on when you feel like you're wasting your time. First of all, notice the preaching of the sermon in verse number 5. The Bible said when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and he testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. I note three things in this text. Number one, I know the Spirit's moving. The Bible said that Paul was pressed in the Spirit. Paul had been reasoning and preaching in the synagogue week after week, Sabbath after Sabbath. But on this particular morning, he woke up and he had a burden on his heart that he was going to go into the synagogue and he wasn't going to try to go around the barn. He was going to directly get up and teach that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. See, the Jews believed that a Messiah would come. But they did not believe nationally that Jesus was the Messiah. Yes, there were some Jews that accepted Jesus as the Messiah, the twelve disciples, the Eleven disciples, Simon was a Canaanite. The eleven disciples were an example of that. They believed that, uh, with the, well, ten if you can't knock out Judas Iscariot, and Simon the Canaanite was a Gentile. Those men were an example that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But nationally, Israel did not accept Jesus Christ. John 1 says He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But to as many as would receive Him, them gave He power to become the sons of God, even the end that believe on his name. So what's happening in our text, Paul goes in there and he tells those Jews, yes, Jesus was the Christ. That word Christ is another word for Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. The Spirit's moving. But then the specific message. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. The burden, the message uh, that Paul had on his heart that day, there's not a greater subject to preach on than what Paul preached on that day. He preached on Jesus. He had the spirits moving, a specific message. But then he had a simple method. If you were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, here's what Paul says. And I, brethren, when I came to you, he's talking about Acts 18, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, saying Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your faith should not stand the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, I didn't come to Corinth to impress you. I came to inform you that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. The preaching of the sermon. Number two, look at verse six, please. The protesting of the sinners. He preached a sermon. He gave his burden. Can I, he gave out the, can I, can I apply it to you? He gave that coworker a tract. He taught the Sunday school lesson. He sang the special. He witnessed to his co-worker. He tried to minister to a family member. But watch what happens. Verse number 6. Notice their boldness. And when they oppose themselves. The word oppose gives the idea of direct opposition. It means, in this text, it teaches us that Paul had had this message on his heart, but they opposed him. They stood against him. Notice not only their boldness, notice their blasphemy, and they blasphemed. The word blaspheme means to speak reproachfully, to rail upon, to accuse. They were not only attacking Paul's message, they were attacking Paul the man. They began to revile and accuse him. And there's going to be times you're trying to serve God, 
You're trying, maybe you're trying to witness. Maybe you're trying to be a, a blessing to somebody, teaching Sunday school. Whatever it is, you apply this to your life. Whatever it is you're trying to do, and the people you're trying to help spit in your face and don't want nothing to do with anything you got to say. Anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? The protesting of the sinners. Number three, the perplexing of the servant. Look at verse number six. They opposed him and blasphemed. Notice Paul's heated exposition. He shook his raiment. He just got, he just had enough. He's up there trying to tell them about the gospel that Jesus Christ died and he rose again. And they stood up and opposed him and attacked him. And Paul just got mad and shook his raiment. This was an Old Testament method of saying an act of judgment, meaning you had your opportunity and now it's over. His heated exposition. His heard explanation. Your blood be upon your own heads. This little phrase means, you know what? I've tried to tell you the truth. You won't listen. You're responsible for your own life. I'm free from the blood of your hand, of, of you. I've done everything. You, here, watch this. I've done everything I can to try to help you. I've tried to, I've tried to witness to you. I've tried to talk to you. I've tried to be a blessing to you. I, I've tried to pray for you and help you. And I, I told somebody this recently. You can't help somebody, first of all, that don't think they need help. But then you can't help somebody that won't, kids don't say this, but you can't help somebody that won't shut up and listen to you. Some people have all the answers, and they want to run that mouth. I'm not talking about y'all tonight. I'm just talking about when you deal with people, and, and they come to you for counsel, and, 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 they, and, and they talk to you, but they have all the answers. They're not, doing, I, I, they're not seeking godly counsel. Preacher, would you pray with me? Or, 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 or a family member, whoever it might be, may not be a preacher. Would you pray with me? What does the Word of God say? No, they come to you, and they just want to dump all their garbage on you. Paul said, look. If you ain't going to listen to what I'm saying, your blood's on your own heads. We cannot make people receive the message. All we have to do is relay the message. I cannot make anybody get saved tonight. My job is to preach the gospel, to give the truth, and man has responsibility to respond to that truth. Not only his, his heated exposition, his heard explanation, but notice his hasty exit, verse number 7. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. Don't, don't pick on Paul too bad. There have been times where I would have liked to throw my coat off and hollered at y'all and walked out that door too. But I was parked up there. <laughs> Paul got in the flesh. Everybody say, oh yeah, Paul got in the flesh. And you haven't? I'm not excusing... But here's Paul. You, you, read, you read Romans 9 and 10. You see that burden he's under. He don't want these people to die and go to hell. He's trying to tell them the truth and they won't listen. And he said, I'm done. And he walked out. You ever walked out before? I'm not talking about physically, but you say, you know what? I'm washing my hands of this. I can't do anything else. I'm trying to help you. I love you. I'm going to pray for you, but there ain't nothing else I can do. Don't make me feel like I'm the only one up here. Number four, but notice this. Notice the people that were saved. Look at verse number eight. Paul just went out in verse seven. Look at your Bible now. We use our Bibles here, don't we? Look at verse eight. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. 
People got saved. Notice the first salvation, Crispus. He was the ruler, the chief ruler of the synagogue. He was the man in charge. He was leading that service. And when Paul walked out, Crispus said, Well, man, Jesus was the Messiah. I'm going to believe on Him. So that was the first salvation. But then notice his family's salvation. The Bible said with all his house, one soul would have been worth it. But not only did Crispus get saved, but Crispus' wife and his children got saved. And then there were following salvations. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Now Paul thinks he's wasted his time. But what he don't see is that when Paul walked out, the Holy Ghost didn't walk out. And when Paul left, the Word of God didn't leave. And when Paul said, I've done all I can, God had not done all He could. I'm going to tell you, you're going to come to a time in your life when you're trying to minister to somebody and trying to help somebody and you've literally got to a point where you've done all you can. But I'm glad there's never been a point where God has been at the end of His rope. His Word is not bound. His Word will not return void. You might have talked to them till you're blue in the face. You might have prayed over and over again. You're trying to help them. And you just you just get so frustrated. Don't feel bad. Paul got frustrated. He got so frustrated that he walked out. But thank God the Holy Ghost didn't walk out. And Paul didn't realize that God was working when Paul thought he was wasting his time. Look, number five. Notice the peace that was spoken. Verse 9. Paul's sitting over there. By the way, don't it look like he went to a parsonage? Because that man's house joined hard to the synagogue. He goes over there and he just sits down. And watch this. There was This peace came divinely. Then spake the Lord to Paul. Oh, Here's Paul. He's just trying to obey the Lord. He's got a burden for these folks. He's got a burden for them. And I see him sitting over there. He's half aggravated. He's mad. He's upset. He's tried to deliver his burden. You ever been mad and sad at the same time? Paul was. He's mad they ain't listening. And he's sad they're going to die and go to hell. But then all of a sudden, Paul... God come by where Paul was at. Oh, and aren't you glad for those times when God will come by with His Word and speak a word to you. This Word, this peace came divinely. It came directly. Watch when it came. It came in the darkness. In the night. By vision. Many times during that midnight hour when everybody's asleep that God will speak to my heart through His Word, bring a verse to my mind. Amen. came in the darkness. This peace came with direction. Be not afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace. Paul, keep on preaching. Paul, don't you quit. Hey, just keep on witnessing. Keep on teaching that Sunday school class. Keep on being a testimony on the job. Keep on trying to minister. Don't quit. This peace was dependable, for I am with thee. How could Paul keep on going after being rejected? The Lord was with him. G. Campbell Morgan was a famous famous British preacher that God used in a mighty way in preaching and writing commentaries. When he was a young man, though, he would go and read the Bible each week to two elderly ladies to try to be a blessing to them. One evening he had just concluded reading the Gospel of Matthew and had read the last sentence of Matthew 28 where the Bible says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. And he said, Ladies, isn't that a wonderful promise? And the dear sister said, young man, 
That's not a promise. That's a fact. Amen, that's right. You see, a promise, and thank God for the promises of God. But I tell you, there's just some facts. I am with you always. Even when everybody walks out, He's still a faithful God. This peace came with defense. Watch this now. And no man shall set hurt, set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. <laughs> Paul says, that's news to me. I just preached in the synagogue, and they all posed and hollered and yelled and reviled me. But he couldn't see what God was doing on the other side of that wall. You see it now? He's walked out. Justice's house is on the outside of that door. And he's sitting over there discouraged. But little does he know on the other side of that wall, God is doing the impossible. And God is rounding up a group of believers. He's over there discouraged. But God's over here working. I want to encourage you tonight. Some of you have got problems you're praying for. Some of you have got needs you're dealing with. Some of you got lost family members you're trying to witness to. And it seems like the more you talk to them, it seems like the more you witness to them, the harder they get. But I'm telling you, when you've done left, I'm glad there's a God who can work behind the scenes. When you feel like you've wasted your time and you're not doing any good, there is a God that can press rewind and play in their mind. And God can work in their heart and life. Hallelujah to His name. And then there is the persistency of His service. Look at verse 11. His continuing. And He continued there a year and six months. His conveying, teaching the Word of God among them. You realize this is where the church at Corinth started? You ever heard of two books called First and Second Corinthians? It all got started when Paul thought he was wasting his time. It all got started on a night when Paul thought, I've just wasted it. But if he had wasted his time, we wouldn't have verses like this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We wouldn't have verses like this. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall all be all sleep. But we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trump, for the dead in Christ shall rise first. Uh, we wouldn't have, uh, how about this verse? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You think Paul knew something about this when he wrote this? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You ever thought about that phrase? I just thought about it now. I didn't think about it until I thought about it. For as much as ye know, who's ye, the Corinthians, that watched him storm out? For as much as ye know, your labor is not in vain, the Lord. I wonder if he is, he said, y'all remember that night I walked out, didn't think y'all was getting none of it? <laughs> ye know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. We never know who God is working on. We never know how God is working on them. And we never know what God will work out of them. But we do know that God is working. Give me this and I'm done. I gave this story years ago, but it's been a while, according to my notes. A man from London, London, England, was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, when a white-haired man stepped out of a doorway and gave him a track and asked, If you died tonight, would you go to heaven? The man said, I was astounded by these words. No one had ever asked me that before. And all the way back to London, I thought about what he had said. I told a friend about it who was a Christian. He led me to Christ. 
This man went on that was one to Christ, went on to become a preacher. Years later at a conference in Australia, he asked a woman that he was counseling. He said, how did you get saved? She said, well, I used to live in Sydney. And a few months ago, I was back there visiting. And while shopping on George Street, a white-haired gentleman stepped out of a doorway and offered me a track and asked, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven? She said, I was so disturbed that I went to a nearby church and talked to a minister. And he led me to Christ. This London preacher wasn't surprised because he had experienced the same thing. After a conference, he went on to preach in another country, and there after the service, he joined a senior, a senior preacher for a meal. During the conversation, he asked the man, How are you saved, sir? He said, Well, I grew up in church, but I never made a commitment to Christ. He said, Well, I was on a business trip to Sydney, Australia. He said, I was, I, I was walking down George Street, and a little white-haired man stepped out of a doorway and gave me a track and said, If you died tonight, are you sure that you'd go to heaven? I told him I was a church elder, but that didn't impress him. And when I returned home, I told my pastor this man's question and how it concerned me. And he took the Word of God and led me to Christ. This London preacher, this is all true, by the way, then flew back to England to speak at a Keswick convention in the Lake District. He mentioned these testimonies about the white-haired man on George Street that passed out tracts. At the end of the meeting, four elderly pastors came to him and said, we all four got saved over 25 years ago through that same ministry of the white-haired man on George Street. He then flew to the Caribbean for another Keswick convention. And again, he told others how he got saved through the testimony of this man on George Street. After his message, more three missionaries came to him and said, we all got saved 15 years ago because a man on George Street handed us a tract. From the Caribbean, he went to Atlanta, Georgia, speaking at a chaplain's convention. During the middle of the chaplain general, the London preacher asked the chaplain, how'd you get saved? He said, well, it was a miracle. He said, I was on an American ship in the Pacific when we docked in Sydney Harbor, and as usual, we got drunk. He said, and I got on the wrong bus and somehow ended up on George Street. While walking down George Street, a white-haired man stepped out of a doorway, said, sailor, if you die tonight, are you sure you go to heaven? He handed me a tract. He said, I didn't say anything. I stuck in my pocket, got back on the ship, and the day, next day when I was sober, I pulled that track out, read it, and was born again. Six months later, this preacher was in Sydney, Australia, preaching for, for a man. He said, sir, i got to know. Do you know about the little white-haired man that lives on George Street that passes out tracks? The pastor said, oh, yes, that's Frank Jenner. He said, oh, Frank can't do it now. He's up in years. He said, well, we'll go by and visit him tomorrow. So they went by to visit the old apartment. And Frank welcomed them in and offered them tea. And the London preacher began to tell of his own personal testimony, how that that man had had him a track some years before, and how he met person after person after person that had been won through his gospel track ministry. The old man listened with tears running down his cheeks. Then he told his story. He said, I was a lost sailor on, a, on an Australian battleship, and in a crisis, one of my friends, a Christian who I ridiculed many times, he had compassion on me, took the Word of God and won me to Christ. Sir, Jesus changed my life so much that day that I made a commitment, I promised Jesus, that I would pass out ten tracts every day and witness to somebody, witness to ten people every day for Jesus. He said, and I've done this for 40 years. In my retirement years, the best place was on George Street because of the crowds. Many people took the tracts. Listen to what he said now. He said, many people took the tracts. But in 40 years of doing this work, 
I never knew of anybody getting saved till today. That little old man just being faithful. Just being faithful. True story, by the way. It's the truth. True story. I've read it in multiple accounts. Passing out tracts. Never knew if anybody got anything. This preacher estimated some 140,000 people not that received tracts, but he got saved. And he preached, and they got saved, and they got saved, and they got saved. All because a man thought he was wasting his time. Didn't see any fruit. Oh, but can you imagine when that man stepped into that city and all the souls and all the people that were saved. There might have been times he thought he was wasting his time. There might be times in your life when you think you're wasting your time. Give God time to work. Let's stand. I appreciate your attention. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I preached 28 minutes. I hope God will use this little text, this little message to encourage your heart to keep on praying, keep on witnessing, keep on being the testimony. Keep on trying to do what you can. Hey, there are some times you've got to step back and say, I just can't.